Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is John Malave. He is CEO at QA Canna. They're a quality assurance uh, and compliance consultancy. They help cannabis companies navigate the troubled and, and sometimes difficult waters of dealing with regulatory issues, compliance issues. It's going to be a fascinating topic. I think this is a big factor in cannabis. It's a big factor in the industry. It's really shaped the way the industry has played out. Uh, we've got state-by-state regulations, uh, with international stuff, we have more regulations there. Uh, and John is an expert in that. So we're interested in getting his insight and advice on this. I think this is going to be a, a fun conversation, but also a very educational one. With that, John, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start with uh, background? What, uh, I guess, what were you doing professionally? How did you get into cannabis? Uh, And then we can talk a little bit about the work that you're doing today. Give us the backstory. So historically, I come from pharmaceutical, medical devices, other highly regulated industries. Started out as a chemist, then have been in quality assurance for the past 16, 17 years almost. Mm -hmm. So I came into cannabis because I've always been an advocate probably a self-medicator for, you know, since I've been young, I think as a lot of people in this industry have been, and just have always known that there's, um, you know, there's been a lot of 
propaganda, a lot of misleading. The real story about it hasn't really been out there. And, you know, having always been a scientist by education, Mm -hmm. by by occupation, have always tried to find the data to kind of support what I have, you know, experienced and felt anecdotally, the positives of cannabis and things and how it can actually help someone's well-being or or help other people in a lot of respects and, and shouldn't have the negative stigma that I had attached to it. So um, really it was, I guess, a cultural kind of thing, something yeah. that I, I utilized for self-medicating. And then as the some of the science started to come about, and obviously it was from outside of the U.S. usually, yeah. it kind of supported the positions that I had um, you know, experienced and that I had observed in you know, through friends and society and things like that. Yeah. 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 And so tell me about QA Cano. How, how did that come about? What was that? Was that a strategic decision you made at one point? Did you find yourself kind of just getting involved? What was the, was the founding kind of story for QA Cano? You know, I actually had a friend and uh, a colleague that I used to just always talk to. And I think at that time, California was talking about, um, you know, they were already medically legal. And Uh we're talking about going recreational. And I was like, you know what? This this industry is going to be regulated. I didn't know to what extent it was going to be regulated, how it would be regulated, because there was nothing there was no precedent set prior to that. Right. There was nothing that came out of such illegality for so many years and then basically moved into this framework of where the states were making it legal, but it was still illegal at a federal landscape. But I just I just knew that it was going to I guess internally that it was going to be legal in some manner. And it was going to be regulated. And I was like, well, this is just leveraging my experience that I utilize within pharmaceuticals and medical devices and things like that and and repurposing them and, and bring them into this space. Yeah. Um, all the all the things that we that we know about quality principles and, you know, producing uh, safe and effective products that have integrity and and ultimately end user safety and, and patient safety. Those are all things right in my wheelhouse. So I was like, this is a no brainer for me. So about three years ago, I started doing some market research, had reached out to a couple of um, closer confidants that were in this space and asked them about what they thought about what I wanted to bring to the table in this respect. And they said, you know, you're probably a few years ahead of time, but you need to get into this space now. And really, that's a lot of the initial time with QA kind of formulating it was um, a lot of spinning wheels and, and not gaining as much traction. So, um, you know, you had to find a way to essentially differentiate yourself because you weren't gaining traction in what you do because there's no regulatory structure in a lot of respects. Yeah. It was very fragmented and, you know, still is fragmented, obviously, but there wasn't um, there just wasn't a need per se. People love what you're saying. People you know, when you explain it to them, they desire what you're saying because it's, it makes their product better and, and, you know, they care about the product that's going out into the market, but there's no mandate for it. So, yeah. you know, it's I think it plays into the part that what there's a misconception that everybody in this space is making money hand over fist. And that's just <laughs> that's just not just the raining, case. raining money. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, like more people are probably broke and yeah. surviving in this space and just trying to stay afloat than many realize on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this regulatory kind of context or the environment that cannabis operates within, because it's a little complicated. Um, talk to us about kind of let's go from kind of the biggest down kind of international level regulation, federal and then the state and local. How like what kind of comes into play when you start thinking about you know regulation, compliance, quality assurance, you know, mandated quality assurance at those different levels? What's what's kind of the dynamic at this point in this industry? Well, the dynamic is that people don't really I mean, when you're talking about the U.S because the U.S. landscape is obviously different than, say, Canada, which is regulated by Health Canada, which Uh regulates their 
their pharmaceuticals and their dietary supplements and things like that. So they have a, a formal a regulatory structure that you know might not be up to par to where it needs to be, but it's all mm-hmm. about continuous improvement. So those are things that are gonna be revised and they're gonna have lessons learned and they're gonna change in that manner. And it really goes for any country that's adopting these practices, whether it's you know Germany or anybody else. They're looking at this as this is an industry just like any other highly regulated industry. We have to worry about consumer safety, product safety, you know, product integrity and things like that. So we're gonna use the tools that we have in place for other industries and utilize them for, you know, repurpose them and utilize them for cannabis. The U.S. is it's very different, obviously, because it's, it's put down to the states, mm-hmm. um, the federal level. We could talk about where I think it's going to be going. But right now, the federal level, their hands are off of it in that respect. It's still obviously illegal. And, you know, the states really, from my experience, don't have the the experience and the expertise, should I say, for lack of a better yeah. term right now, to effectively manage such an industry. It's just, it's very hard to take something that needs to be so highly regulated. It really needs to be because the fact is these are going into patients. These are people that yeah. are that are compromised health-wise and essentially doing all of the things or making sure that these companies are doing all the things that they need to do in order to produce safe and effective products. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's the fragmentation, the lack of, I should say, I'm going to say knowledge based, not that it's not out there, but the people that are actually driving it, the lack of knowledge um, has really made a sometimes I I just use the word an egregious failure um, (laughs) within the state, uh, you know, state of, of cannabis within the United States, because there's just so much consumer safety factors out there that are just exposed that it's it's unreal. It sometimes boggles my mind to think about it because I'm just like coming from a quality perspective. It's just like I'm appalled sometimes that it's allowed to go in the manner that it's gone for so many years. These medical programs. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of, a lot of work to do and most likely a lot of changes going forward. What, when we we're talking about quality and compliance, what, what is it that we're really, how does, how does this practically work? Like how does, how does the regulatory process work? How, what do companies do to become compliant? How do they stay compliant? I mean, from a, you know, operational point of view, how does this play out? Well, you know, people bring up compliance a lot and when and compliance is, it's a loose term, right? Yeah. If, if, if I come into cannabis and say that your regulations are that your, your signage needs to be in red and your signs are in red, well, then you're compliant. So compliance is loose. It doesn't really tell you, you know, how effectively somebody is in a state of control within their operations. Mm-hmm. That's basically set about by the regulations, the rules by which these companies need to adhere to. Now, when you're talking about quality, in every other regulated industry, whether it's aerospace or food or pharma or med device, they all have quality systems and quality departments in play because that's really the the safety net of the organization. Basically, they're, it's like their checks and balances, ensuring uh-huh. that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, ensuring that they're not breaking the rules, um, so to say. Yep. And essentially, any other problems that are internally happening are being disseminated up to upper management. And upper management has visibility on them, so ultimately they're the real decision makers, and they're the ones that are that are essentially gonna say, okay, this is what we need to do so we can you know, comply with the current regulations that are in place. So right now, when you talk about compliance, sometimes the regulations are just so deficient, egregiously deficient, that it doesn't matter whether they're compliant or not. The fact is you're still probably putting out adulterated products. And yeah. um, and, and the fact is that, you know, these doctors are, are talking about prescribing medications and stuff like that. But I think it puts them in a kind of a weird position because 
they're basically prescribing medication that that isn't really up to par of what they're used to prescribing. Mm. Um, not saying that cannabis isn't effective, but essentially that it's it's just likely in some manner adulterated because it's not processed within a state of control from, you know, from the very beginning, from raw materials coming in to the manufacturing processes to distribution and things like that. Yeah. So, so quality really ensures that the doctor or the end user is actually getting a consistent quality product that's expected throughout the whole life cycle and manufacturing process of that product itself. Yeah. And, and when, when we say adulterated, we're looking at th- things that are introduced to the product, either through growing and pesticides and treatments and things that happen on the plant itself to the processing, the equipment Correct. and the chemicals that are used in processing. And, and are those residual? Do they have harmful effects to what level concentration, stuff like that? Right. That's correct. So, you know, people bring up pesticides and stuff and they say, well, pesticides are used in food and stuff like that. But, you know, usually with food, you can wash off your food or something like that if it's done externally. And, And I'm not and I'm not justifying and saying that all pesticide use is just safe and it's the best practice. I'm just giving one factor there that yeah. with cannabis, you can't really do that. Usually it's, it's systemically introduced and there's no way to, to you know, extract that out or separate that out in a lot of respects. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because so of the nature of the product and how it's grown and how it's processed. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then also comes to the point that, you know, you also have inconsistencies in the analyses that are, are, de- are supposed to detect these pesticides and things where, you have, and I'm not going to mention any states or anything specifically, yeah. but you'll have some lab analysis where it will show that it'll say no, no pesticides detected or none detected. But essentially, you'll have a note or an, uh, a blurb stating that yeah, yeah. due to some type of you know matrix problems with the plan itself or whatever, we cannot actually um, effectively detect pesticides. So it's kind of being disingenuous because you're saying that it's not detected, but you're really saying at the same breath that we don't really have a methodology that can detect it due to these other limitations, whether yeah. it's just not effective method development or other um, inherent. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. And so when, I mean, we're looking at the sort of the regulatory process in terms of how this gets implemented. The, the state is, well, so so we're dealing mainly right now, if you're doing, if you're involved in, in cannabis, you know, high THC level cannabis products in the states, in the US, that you're going to fall under state state regulatory issues. They're going to issue some kind of uh, set of standards. How does the testing work? I mean, I, I know some states are doing this. The state is testing. In some cases, you have to use a state authorized lab. I mean, how does, who, who actually does the testing? How do they do the testing? Who organizes that? Um, I mean, give us a sense to kind of the dynamics and the economics of, of the testing process or the, the, the assuring that you're actually meeting these compliance and these standards. How does that work? Yeah. So yeah, just as you said, you either have um, a state identified or a sole state testing facility, or you have third party approved laboratories that can actually test. And the dynamic there fundamentally is kind of backwards. And the reason I say that is because really the laboratories are driving this industry. They are the end all be all and sitting there saying that something passes, you can't distribute it. And something, I mean, something passes, you can distribute it or something doesn't pass and you can't distribute it. Where when you're talking about mature industries like pharmaceuticals or, or dietary supplements or anything like that, obviously with different levels of stringency, the laboratory is really just a confirmer of what you're doing or what you expect within your your product. So, you know, company A within pharmaceuticals, they basically have in-process or in-house testing that they they get these results to say, all right, quality is going to release these out to the market for distribution. They might send something out to a third-party laboratory if necessary to get confirmatory. 
results to say they align. But right now in our industry, in the cannabis industry, it's not that way. So it's kind of backwards because not only is it inherently contradicting because one lab uses this methodology and this lab uses this methodology and this lab uses this methodology because we don't have a compendia of some recognized or all recognized methodology for extraction or for, I mean, for analysis in that respect. Yeah. So that, that dynamic is, it's a little bit screwy in my mind. Yeah. You know, people look at the laboratories because QC is the, the standard in this industry right now, which is very reactive rather than having QA, which is proactive and trying to prevent and project what's actually going to be happening down the process line within your, your manufacturing and things like that. Got so it. the laboratory, the, the whole laboratory dynamic is, it's a little screwy. I'm not saying that all labs are, are not proficient in what they're doing. I think the fact is that there's just not enough harmonization. There's not enough cross discussion about the analyses and the methodologies that we're utilizing to sit here and say, okay, we're really doing this to ensure that these, these products are made consistently with consistent levels of THC, et cetera, et cetera. But rather than, but rather it's just you send it to us, we're going to tell you whether you can, you know, distribute it or not due to state regulations. Interesting. Yeah. So this is the issue. If, I've, if I'm worried about a particular, you know, inorganic solvent that's used in some extraction process, you know, what's the method by, by which I test to see if it's there or not? And you're saying that going from lab to lab, the method that they use to test will vary. Therefore, you have fundamental differences in the results that you're getting and it becomes difficult to compare or at least standardize what are the limits that we're setting? And then how do we validate that those limits are, are met or not met? And that's a problem in and of itself. Correct. So yeah. essentially, like from my experience with manufacturers, they would say that they'll send it to one lab and they get one result and it fails. Yeah. And they'll send it to another lab and they get another result and it passes. And they're like, <laughs> do people do crazy. lab shopping? Get it until it passes? Yeah. And and, yeah. and that's inherently something you, you wouldn't do. I mean, that, any regulatory body would be like, you can't do that. That's yeah. like you're trying to test quality into your product. It's just not, it's just not allowable. We just can't do those things. So it puts them in a, in a bad situation because they don't have consistency on the analysis end. Yeah. Um, and they might feel that they're manufacturing and they might be working within a, a good state of control for their manufacturing. Yeah. Although that's not, you know, what I've seen and, and have experienced or within the space in a long time is everybody's cutting corners. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine that this whole process becomes quite political as well. So like who, you know, the, the people that actually decide what the standards are and who's going to do the testing and things like that. I mean, ultimately, this is a kind of a government function, right? There's a health safety issue for the general public. So the government is involved in doing this, you know, but government is, you know, obviously flawed, <laughs> not perfect. And the, and the process of making these regulations become, you know, a little bit skewed. I mean, I, I don't know how much insight or experience you've had or stories that you've seen in terms of the actual kind of sausage making on this. What yeah, what have you I'm seen in that. terms of how how the regulations actually get made and, you know, to the extent that they're actually doing or not doing the job of protecting, you know, the consumer and making sure that we've got, you know, safe and effective product? You know, I really try to, even though I'm exposed to it, I really try to stay out of the policy side of it so much yeah. because the political you know, the political landscape is just, it's, it makes everything so convoluted and problematic. Really, a lot of the problems that we're having are because of the political landscape, the policy aspects. You know, you yeah. can't implement medical cannabis programs in 90 days and expect to have an effective program that's going to, you know, ensure consumer safety and yeah. ensure that the, the, the people that are, that are licensed to manufacture are doing so in a controlled state. There's just, there's just not enough conveyance of the knowledge that's out there. And there's a wealth of knowledge. There's a wealth of quality knowledge that you can gain from, you know, from pharmaceutical or medical devices that are just out there for guidance and, and for really kind of 
recipes for, for this industry to follow. Unfortunately, people just aren't educated because they don't come from that space and they're not aware of it. And a lot of times the politicians that are driving this or the, or the political motivations are only really caring about, you know, tax revenue yeah. and, you know, and whether it's, you know, they're maybe enhancing some of their constituencies they might yeah, have exactly. relationships with. So yeah. it really is doing a disservice to everything. And this is why I really feel that and I do believe that the FDA is eventually going to take this over. And I think the CBD framework and hemp framework that will be formulated by the FDA will just allow a pretty easy transition of cannabis to slide into it. And and obviously with, you know, higher regulations, stronger regulations, more stringent, but still into that into that framework. So yeah, yeah, yeah you brought you brought up CBD, and I'm curious to talk about that. I mean, I'd, so CBD, you know, for folks on the program here, this, this is sort of the cannabis plant that's less than, well, in the United States, less than 0.3% THC is considered hemp. You extracting CBD from hemp is now legal under the Farm Bill. The, I think it was the 2018 Farm Bill finalized the, mm-hmm. legalizing that. But tell me about the compliance side of that, though, because I my recollection and, and my understanding is that who's actually controlling it? Is it a supplement? Is it a drug? Is it uh, USDA? Is it FDA? Like all, all these things for a while, we're still up in the air. Has that been resolved or where where is compliance or how is compliance being handled on the uh, CBD side? Well, the USDA for the actual cultivation of hemp has released guidance in that respect and regulations. But the FDA is still formulating regulations for CBD production that are essentially going to be going into people. So right now it's it's really um, kind of up in the air and it's kind of like um, it's being, I guess, driven by kind of the the auspice of dietary supplements. Yeah. So you'll hear like things about like, you know, you can't claim health efficacy on the labels or anything like that. That's one of the distinctions between dietary supplements and and pharmaceuticals um, because there's no data to, to show that. So you can't make those claims on a label, but there's still no, there's no regulation specifically for things like CBD right now. Um, so they're still being formulated. So that's really still up in the air and it's, and it's still a big risk for, for these manufacturers because now it's, it's legal. So hemp's legal, CBD's legal. So everybody and their brother's thinking they're jumping into the game and they're not, nobody's worried about, you know, things like product liability. Yeah. Like if you don't have good manufacturing practices and controls within within your manufacturing and your your supply chain and, and distributions and things like that. You're exposing yourself to these product liability claims and potential class action lawsuits and and um you know these people that are taking their money, their life savings or or you know small amounts comparatively to to large organizations yeah. investing in these companies, you know, one class action lawsuit or one major lawsuit, they're just wiped out. They're yeah. just gonna be done. And this, you know, applies to cannabis too. They're going to be done, and and even if they do make it through any type of litigation, the PR crisis and the money yeah. they're going to spend on PR is going to be astronomical, yeah. especially in such a competitive landscape. Yeah, and let's talk about sort of the difference between compliance and assurance. You brought this up earlier. Uh, you know, compliance. Uh, you know, compl- compliance being, you know, are you meeting the bar? You know, assurance is sort of testing that you've met the bar after the back. Assurance being, do you have the systems and processes in place? Why, I, I guess, how do companies, if I'm either in, you know, a hemp CBD based or a THC, you know, marijuana based company, how do I kind of think about this or what's my strategy around this whole kind of compliance and assurance and, and building quality into my process? What does that look like? Well, j- just two clarifications there was, yeah. I think they're not, they're not compatible in this respect. So if, I, if I'm talking about compliance, specifically when you're saying compliance, that means you're you're adhering to regulations. That means it's mandated. It's the law. Mm-hmm. If I'm if it's something that's a guidance or something like, let's say, ISO standard mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not coming from a, say, a regulatory body per se, 
then you're conforming to the standards. You're basically saying that these are the, these are the, the rules we're, we should be following. These are the suggestions. That, so we're conforming to that. So you can be, when you're compliant, essentially you're just compliant with whatever is required for you to be compliant to, um, whatever the, whatever the, the rule is or whatever the rule of law is in that respect. With these companies that are in compliance and, you know, you, I've heard this for the past two and a half years, when you talk about your services, they're like, oh, no, don't worry. We have that covered. We're compliant. But that doesn't that doesn't tell the whole story. Like you're compliant with grossly deficient regulations yeah. and rules. So if you don't have the foresight to be able to see the exposure that your company has when it moves into an ever more stringent regulatory environment, which is the only way it goes, it does. it's not going to become less regulated. It's only going to become more regulated. You know, then at that point, are your internal systems and expectations, are they up to par? And, and really, it's going to take an effort of these companies to think outside of the box and go above and beyond. Because if you're looking to have sustainability in this in this landscape, and if you're looking to really withstand the onslaught of major companies that are going to be coming into the cannabis space specifically, and we're talking pharmaceuticals and, mm-hmm. and other big, big, you know, sometimes multinational companies that are going to come into play – if you want to withstand that onslaught, you better make sure that you are up to par with everything that you need to do. Otherwise, you're probably just going to end up just getting wiped out. Yeah. Uh, yeah unfortunately, yeah. it's just it's sad, but that's the way it's really going to be. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't see, you know, it's really that risk, you know, business risk assessment and mitigation that this comes up as well. Not just that I check the box of what my the particular regulations that I'm under for the state. Talk to me about how do you engage with a client? What's What's the process look like for you know, a, a company that's looking to improve its quality assurance process, where, where do you start? What are the steps? What are the procedures? What, are, what is the, the structure and the engagement? How do you work with folks? You know, I think it goes to the dynamic of our company. You know, when, when we first came into this space, the, the focus was that we're like, okay, we're going to be a quality assurance and compliance firm, which, you know, quality, it's a wide breadth of activity. I mean, it touches upon every part of an, a regulated company, you know, outside of financials, but essentially it's like it has its hands in everything. It's a safety net of the whole organization. So we thought we were going to be focused in on quality and compliance. Unfortunately, without mandates through regulations and without the the operators really being probably aware and educated of you know what's coming down the pipeline and how quality can not only help protect you against product liability and things like that, but also increase process efficiency, you know, better mm-hmm. profit margins and things like that. We didn't really gain a lot of traction with the operators, which is which is really where our focus will be when this regulatory structure becomes more harmonized. Yeah, because that's that's a wealth of activity and there's so much that goes on there where we've really gained a lot of traction is with the you know financial sectors, the insurance industry and things like that, because they're the ones that are taking risk management into consideration. They're the ones that are looking at this, you know, inherently from their from their business models. Anyway, if you can provide insight into a cannabis operation or, you know, the industry per se, and give, you know, further data points of where to assess risk and where we can mitigate risk and things like that. It's valuable to them, you know, from the private equity P perspective or investment perspective that, you know, they want to, they want to make sure that they're investing in a company that's going to be sustainable. They want to make sure that they're applying the right valuation to yeah. them from the insurance perspective. They're looking at, you know, creating a robust risk management program because they don't have collateral. They're not lenders. They're basically writing policies that they're hoping that you're not going to really have many claims or they're kind of projecting that you're not going to have as many claims and not expose them to, you know, losing money on, on writing policies for you. Yeah. So it's real. that's really where we've engaged and where uh, we've gotten a lot of 
traction in that respect. Mm-hmm. But anybody else, any, we're always talking to operations. We're always talking to various people within this industry because I think as anybody who's in this industry knows, it's a lot of face-to-face interaction, personal, uh, personal getting out there and, and talking to people, meeting people and engaging because there's still a lot of you know distrust, stigma that's applied to the industry, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there's no marketing firm to go to and say, you know what, I'm a business to business operation. Can you give me a marketing plan and let's get marketing for this? Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't really exist out there for, for what we're doing in our services. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and when you actually do start working with a company, what's the process? Are you going on site? Are you, are you reviewing documents? I mean, how, how do you actually understand what a company is doing from a process and a quality point of view? And how do you, you know, kind of assess, diagnose what needs to get changed? I and mean, what does that, what does that look like? Yeah. So if you're, if you're dealing with like an insurance company, then there's really no, there's really no need besides engagement with, you know, executives or stakeholders, I should say, mm-hmm. there's no need to really go on site or anything like that. But if you're dealing with an operation and you're usually going to go in and do an initial evaluation, some type of gap assessment or assessment, depending upon what type of deliverable they're looking for, some, what type of support they're actually looking for. So ideally you would go into an operation because Again, they're all pretty grossly deficient. Yeah. And when you do your evaluation, your output might be a report that identifies, okay, you're compliant with your state mandated regulations or even municipality mandated regulations. This is where you guys stand. But this is where we see gaps. These are the data points that you're not really identifying and where you have a lot of risk, potential diversion risk for security or potential uh, you know, contamination risk, cross-contamination risks, or, or, or even supplier risks in a lot of respects. And then you can provide that that entity, that gap assessment in that respect, saying, all right, this is where you are not you're, this is where you're not meeting the um, the requirements that are going to be down the line, whether it's months or a year or whatever it is. But you can take this phased implementation approach so you're not acutely absorbing the cost of implementing quality practices and principles, which, you know, it's not cheap, yeah. but it's something that needs to be done. And if you take it in a phased approach, it's a lot more manageable and acceptable by organizations. So yeah. it's usually the, the initial way because the industry is not really mature enough now to hire people, I should say, reactively. So like if you're in pharmaceuticals, Usually third party consulting firms are going in because there's a problem within the organization. They're getting FDA 483s or getting a warning letter Mm -hmm. and they need to have an outside party that has subject matter expertise to come in and help them remediate those problems. The industry now is not mature enough for that, but it will be happening. That, yeah. That's a no-brainer and inevitable. Yeah. And if I'm a, an operator, a company working with you know cannabis products and, and actually touching the plant, what are the things I need to kind of do or think about? Or how, how do I kind of make sure that I'm, I'm thinking about quality assurance, quality uh, compliance uh, issues, some of the questions I need to ask myself? Well, I mean, it has to be, and we talk about this even historically in, pa- in my past life in industry, mature yeah. industry, it, it's really a cultural change within your organization. You have to really accept and believe in the practices of quality, not only caring about your end users, your customers, and yeah. putting out a consistent and good quality product, but also your employees and having them work in an environment that they feel good to work in, that, they're, that they feel that they can you know, continuously improve and, and learn different things. Sometimes that dynamic, and it's, again, even in past life, it's been exposed in this respect that, you know, when you're talking about a company that's trying to make money, you know, manufacturing and, and things like that kind of hold precedence over quality. And and unless somebody comes from in, in cannabis, unless they come from um, an industry or a company that 
has really had this culture, mm -hmm. they really don't see the value in it. And they really need to, they really care about sustainability. They really need to take an honest step back and evaluate. And if they can't see the, the broad picture, they need to bring somebody else in who has the ability to be able to see where they're exposed and where they can start improving and solidifying their systems. So when, you know, when inevitably it comes, they're going to be able to um, not only adhere to the regulations and withstand any type of scrutiny, but also be, uh, you know, a, a market differentiator by, you know, putting out a high end product that people are going to know are going to consistently deliver the same results that they're looking for as users. Yeah. John, this has been great. Um, if people want to find out more about you, about QA Canna, the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? So you can go to our website, uh, www.qacana.com. Um, you can email us at info at qacana.com, or you can email me directly at j-o-n.m-a-l-a-v-e at qacana.com. And um, I'm going to throw into there, we're actually going to be doing a seminar over in Israel in, I think, on March 16th and 17th. So if anybody's internationally yep. listening to your podcast and it wants to engage, we will be over there talking about some quality related subject matters at an all day expo there and then a one on one session the next day. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll put in the show notes the um, URLs and the emails and then, uh, yes, yeah, I mean, the link on the program you're doing in March in oh. Israel and I'll, I'll put that in there as well. Um, um, Bruce, you know, I actually um, yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Um, we're actually just launching a QA Canna show, which I think kicks off on the third of this month. We're going to be doing a monthly show and each show we're going to be talking about a quality subject. Perfect. Um, and the first half an hour will be, you know, discussion on that that subject and it will be done by constituencies within within the firm itself. And, and I think we're going to also have some other outside external subject matter experts coming in to provide some insight. And then we're going to leave the last half an hour for some Q&A. So hopefully there's a lot of engagement. You can see that on LinkedIn on the QA Canna uh, company site, and you can sign up through Eventbrite there. It's free. And hopefully we get a lot of engagement because we feel it's it's a good way to educate people on how they can actually improve their organizations and and move the move the compass in the right direction. Awesome. We'll, we'll include uh, those links as well. And thank you so much for taking time. Great topic. Great insight. Clearly, you know, highly knowledgeable in the space. I appreciate you taking some time and sharing with the audience. Thanks a lot, Bruce, for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.